there is this like five to six day sexual phase of the cycle. And I right away was like, they're talking about ovulation. Like, I know they're talking about ovulation because I know what your hormones are doing and all of that. But what I liked about that is that if you're trying to get pregnant, and I think just if you're trying to understand your body, understand there's an ovulatory right. phase. But if you're not, and the furthest thing from your mind is a baby, being able to frame it in a way that doesn't just reduce you to your like reproductive capacity or talk about it in a way that doesn't rip the bandage off the wound every time if you have experienced loss is really empowering. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a pioneer in women's medicine and an award-winning board-certified naturopathic endocrinologist and certified sex counselor. She is the author of Beyond the Pill and Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth, a fierce patient advocate who is completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances. Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones and how to have better conversations with their doctors. She is an international speaker, clinical educator, and medical advisor in the femtech industry and is considered a leading authority on women's health. She also has a new book coming out. It's called, Is That Normal? On this episode, we talk about hormones, fertility, the pressures of being a public figure while going through miscarriage and pregnancy struggles, autoimmune and Hashimoto's in pregnancy, holistic health, and so much more. I had a lot of fun recording this episode, y'all. It was another attempt at an hour-long show that was just too good to cut short. Enjoy this combo that I got to have with Dr. Jolene Brighton. I'm totally with you there. And I don't know for me with regards to my audience and letting them in on my journey and everything. It's like, how much do I share and what in real time? Because, mm -hmm. you know, for me, I was like, well, I just assume, you know, I'm 34. And so I'm ready to do this thing for the first time. I was definitely yeah. feeling the pressure of the timeline. The first time I got whacked in the face with the timeline was when I was waiting for my husband to propose to me. And I was like, yeah. All of a sudden I realized if you propose now and we're engaged for one year and then we want to be married for one full year before we go down this road of parent or not parent, I'm already 34 or 35 by the time. And you yeah. haven't given me the ring yet. And I remember like having my heart kind of like beat out of my chest a little bit where I'm like, oh my gosh, I like it all of a sudden settled. And then that angst getting, that was the yeah. first time that I felt the angst around relationship and timeline and family and all of these things. And then health stuff too, because then I was like, well, if it takes me a year to prepare my body for this thing, prepare my mind yeah. for this thing. And there's all these people in my, you know, these professionals in my sphere that I'm, I'm paying attention to that are like, if you want to have a super baby, then you got to do it this way. And you, you know, have the yeah. year of preparing ahead of time and all these things. And I'm like trying to map this out. And there's my husband, like, what? I know. <laughs> well, the, the other thing too, that really gets me is how often I talk with people and they're like, yeah, like my doctor's looking at this for me and looking at that for me and I'm struggling. And I'm like, what do they look at for your partner? Like your male partner. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that yet. And I'm like, this is such BS because men's health plays a pivotal role 
not only your ability to get pregnant, right? And that's like the first like goalpost where you, like there are so many goalposts <laughs> they're like in, in pregnancy and the whole journey. But with that, it's the very first one, right? Of like, just get pregnant. But we fail to recognize that like the sperm is also really important in staying pregnant. Having a healthy embryo divide the way it should and the majority of miscarriages are going to be because things that were outside of our control, right? Like cells divided wrong. Like they've got to divide perfectly. When you think about how they have to get it right and how often they do actually get it right, it's astounding to think that like there's even that probability. But in terms of babies' outcomes, like their health in the long term, that it all is impacted by sperm quality, i.e., the male partner's health. And I think it's just, as you were talking about in the timeline, like men think they don't have a timeline, yet we know the quality of their little gamete that they pass along does degrade over time as well. But, you know, in the society that we're in, it is always like, let's not do research on women or treat them like the special creatures that they are and actually tailor things for them. But let's definitely put like these like pressures on them and these guilt trips and the shame and all of that. Let's like put the burden on them that if you can't get pregnant, it's a you problem. If you can't maintain a pregnancy, it's a you problem. If something happens with the baby, who sits there and worries about what they did wrong? It's not usually the dad because society hasn't really drilled that in. I also think we have like a special skill as moms to beat ourselves up in that way, which is part of why the human race has survived as long as it it has, because we, <laughs> we do that and then we try to do better, yeah. even though like in the moment, it really sucks. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And so for me going through the one miscarriage, I'm just like, what are all the things that I can do? And my husband is like, goodness. He looks like a Greek God to me. He's got like nine ah, abs. He's, he's so beautiful and like glowing with health. And he takes like, I don't know, an undefinable amount of supplements in a day. And he gets a ton of sunlight and he's very mm -hmm. active. And so I look at him and I'm like, you have to be healthy through and through. And he actually had a sperm analysis scheduled the week that I found out that I was pregnant back at the end oh, of yeah. 2022. And so I was sitting there on the couch with him when he called the clinic and was like, well, I'm calling to cancel my appointment because it was literally the same week, like later that week. Yeah. And we'd really only just started trying for maybe a couple months. And then the lady was like, okay, well, do you want to reschedule? And she just go, and he goes, oh, well, we don't need it anymore. And she goes, oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah. And it was this whole moment. And there's this interesting information where I'm like, do I... I hear this, you know, miscarriage is very common and we don't really talk about how common it is. And there's something mm -hmm. like one in three, but a lot of people don't even catch when they might've even had a miscarriage, but you know, it comes on, it comes yeah. so early that it just appears as like they've had their period and they wouldn't have even known, you know, and it's these early mm -hmm. HCG predictor or HCG tests that allow for people to even know so early on. And so I hear the common, and then I also hear with regards to on the male side, well, it's something, and I'm sure that you've heard this too. It goes something like, well, your two parts work because they met and you did get yeah. pregnant. So it must be good. And that time just didn't work out for whatever it's reason, mm -hmm. chromosomal, whatever it was that it led to a pregnancy that was vi not viable. And so, you know, there's a part of me that wants to like relax and think like it happens, the thing that happens. And then there's the balance of like, how proactive can I be without being neurotic? And yeah, should yeah. I encourage him to, and I actually earlier today just sent him a text and was like sperm analysis question mark. And he very playfully was like, only if you come into the room with me and like, and I think <laughs> that works that way. You're and like, he, come into the room with me. <laughs> right. And then he sent me an emoji of a cow and I was like, like milk. And I'm like, you're so, so he's also, oh, oh, okay. he's also a character. Like, 
what is he trying to insinuate that you're a cow like what no he wants to milk anyway yeah so no sir eggplant and water emoji those go together okay yeah so he's just just like such a character he's definitely like the clown in our friend group for sure and i love him for that and it's mostly sometimes it's his humor as a defense mechanism that he's learned over time to get him by and sometimes it's like the most incredible diffuser you know when times get really challenging or i might be panicking and kind of leading me back around to the neurosis where it's like, what's the healthy balance of what can I do? What Mm -hmm. should I choose to do? You know, and in the term should, how can I maybe remove the shame component to that? And then what do I choose to do and what's really available? And how do I choose to do all of this from a really empowering place where I'm looking at this holistically, not just, I want to make a baby, Mm-hmm. but I want to be healthy and I want to know myself and I know what the risks are and the odds are, but not ruminate there, you know, and before yeah. I hit record, we were talking about like the various windows of waiting, you know, when I got that positive mm-hmm. pregnancy test, I was like, Oh my gosh, I had this like maybe 30 to 60 seconds of we fucking did it. We did it. It happened. Yeah. Holy shit. And then literally I had a wave crash over me of, is it going to stick? And then yeah. I was like, whoa, 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 where did that come from? And then kind of very shortly after that, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think that this ends. This could mm-hmm. not end this like perpetual, like amount of control because then it's the next window of what could potentially be wrong. And then the baby comes out and then it's like, is the baby breathing? And am I a good parent? And it's just like total lesson and I can't control anything. So I would love your perspective because you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt a few times. Yeah, <laughs> got the t- t-shirt. Fuck that t-shirt. Um, that's how I feel. <laughs> so as we were talking about last year, I had multiple miscarriages. I actually... So last year I was pregnant. We were so excited. We get to the ultrasound. There is no heartbeat. This is when things are getting like sketchy in the US and there's no heartbeat, but the doctors don't want to call it yet. I was leaving for Europe to speak and I just finally called my MFM, the maternal fetal medicine specialist. And I was like, I've been back several times. They're not going to call it, but there is no heartbeat. There's, and I'm like, I just need you to confirm it. And I need a piece of paper that like says this. And like, so that if I end up, cause I'm going to Europe and if something happens, I just have like a history here and I can just take it in and be like, look, here's the scans. Here's everything. Here is this specialist opinion about this. And I went to the UK. I spoke at the Health Optimization Summit. And this is like, man, the universe is so freaking cruel sometimes because I'm teaching on fertility. My talk is all about fertility and biohacking the menstrual cycle. And I start bleeding in the middle of my talk. I fill blood. And like, there was a moment where I was like, oh, like I paused and I like knew, but I was like, okay, just keep going, like stay in your flow. My husband didn't catch it. And I'm like, I felt like everybody in that moment, I feel like everybody knew something was wrong. Like the way that I just lost myself in that moment. And then I kept going. It was very interesting because I had to be there the next day on a panel and it was just spotting. Like it was just really light, dark brown blood. And I knew what was coming after that, the conference ends. And then I feel like my body was like, okay, we can now do this. And I just laid on the couch and cried in horrible pain for that was my UK trip. And I just want to like the health optimization summit. I told them what was going on before I got there. And they were like, any accommodation you need, whatever you need, we will take care of you. If you need to cancel, you just tell us. Like they were 
so, so wonderful. And I'll just say as a female speaker, that's like rare to come across at conferences. There've been other conferences that have like accommodated me for breastfeeding and stuff. And that's like also amazing. But then there's conferences that are like, okay, what do you want us to do about it? Just do your job. And you're like, ah, great, fun. Okay. You know, just speaking to like the shame and like the perfection, everything, like I had that miscarriage and then we went to Spain. Okay. Alcohol is horrible for our hormones and our body. And like, we all know that, but I was just like, you know what? I'm going to drink some sangria. Like I'm in Spain. I'm going to drink some sangria. We ended up going to France after that. We tried to world school our kids for part of the year and teach them history and culture and things by being in actually immersed in other countries. And for everybody listening, I do work the entire time. People are always like, oh my God, you get to vacation like several months out of the year. I'm like, when I can do that, I will let you know how I figured it. But no, 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 no. I have to work still. But with that, I also drank the wine in Paris because like they have really good wine and you like go to lunch. And I just, I didn't stress it as much. And yes, people will tell you, yes, like drinking alcohol is not going to be good for your fertility. It wasn't like binge drinking like a bottle to myself every day, right? But I think that's the kind of thing of like, you can't like people won't even like acknowledge that like there's permission to do that. Certainly if you're like in the middle of IVF and those kinds of things, absolutely not. Don't be doing that if you're actively trying to conceive. But yeah, last year I went through several miscarriages, one of which like Halloween is like my favorite holiday. And then the day after I had a miscarriage, I doubt my in-laws will listen to this, but they had actually, my father-in-law had said something cruel to my husband. I felt like it was like a boomer coping mechanism that he had said probably for the best that you like, she lost the baby. And anyways and like because you guys don't really need more kids what are you going to be like one of those people that just like has all these kids and I'm like yeah sure if that's what I want to do I'll do whatever I want to do this is my life I take care of these kids like what you come and enjoy them like you enjoy them immensely so I don't understand so I think it was more of like him trying to be like supportive and like oh it's probably for the best kind of thing and we were going to tell them I was pregnant while they were there and they were staying with us for a couple weeks and then I ended up having a miscarriage and I actually just stayed in my bedroom I think they thought I was mad at them I wasn't I just didn't want to share the experience and that was harder than being on a stage to be in my own house I like I'm trying not to get teary but to be in my own house and to feel like I had to hide my miscarriage and isolate and like just not because I didn't feel like I would have that kind of support I don't know if that would be like I don't think that there's just something about that older generation that unless like they've done their work they don't know how to support that because again as we talked about before nobody talks about this like these are not normalized conversations I do want to speak though to the sperm analysis I always wonder why biohackers are not doing this because that is one of the most amazing metrics to really understand how viable and healthy you are so I just like did an abrupt change like here's a sad story and like oh by the way but it just is something that I really as you were saying that struck me that I'm like why are biohackers not doing this as like women we're tracking all of our hormones and we're trying to see like and these hormones are indicative of our fertility. So why would men not do the same thing? Because the glutathione infusions that you're getting, like you will see, like, are they actually working? Because your swimmers, they should be really good at doing their job and they should look normal and they should move and they should move in the direction they're meant to move. Yeah. I'm going to have to tell Jordan that later today. I'm just going to say she, you know, Dr. Jolene, she said, you know, she doesn't understand why more biohackers, I'm going to just like use the buzzword, more bio, why aren't more biohackers checking out their sperm? 
I mean, yeah. I mean, your fertility, the way that I look at it is the health and the health of the menstrual cycle, the health, I would say for men and their semen and their sperm quality and all that. I mean, it's indicative of so much, you know? And so, yeah. And for me, when I think about my cycle, I've gotten really up close and personal with it over the years. And while in the work that I do, which is primarily helping people with their intimacy, you know, I, Mm -hmm. before we started the trying to conceive path, it's people would come to me and it's like, how do we rekindle the passion and the, and all of that post having kids, or now we're empty nesters. And then it started to kind of mimic and parallel where we were really at. And so now I'm having lots of conversations about how do I not have scheduled robotic trying to conceive sex? Like, how do we enjoy this again? How do we make I talked about a this baby on my with YouTube. love? Yes, I totally. When I was sharing my fertility journey, I had to take a beat on YouTube because it was just getting like, it was just getting hard. I was like, how many times can I come on and talk about a miscarriage is what it felt like. And I, I, this is my own, this is like the thing about being in the public eyes. Like you get in your own head and you're like, are people going to get sick of this? I'm sick of it. I'm certainly sick of it. But yeah, I talked about that piece of like, one of the fastest ways to get out of the mood is this expectation that you have to be in the mood and go time. And like when And you have to time sex, right? So for everybody listening who's ever thinking about having a baby, you got one day for that egg and sperm to meet. The sperm can live up to five days, but I'm like, never count on that. Like give it three, okay? When you're trying to get pregnant. So three days before you expect ovulation and then the day of ovulation, those are like key windows to hit. But that is just something, there have definitely been times where because I'm like, I have to have sex, I'm like, I don't want to. And then I'm like, but you have to. Because you know how this works. You know the physiology and like the mental struggle. Like I'm the person that's like when it's our anniversary or Valentine's Day, I'm like, "Mm, I don't think I'm probably, it's going to be hard for me because I feel like this pressure around it. And that is really, it's a really common break, like a big stop sign for a lot of people. But nobody talks about that, especially following like pregnancy loss, I think is just another layer in it of like, because you have, I can sit here and tell you that your body is not broken, that like the issue is almost always chromosomal. That's outside your control. I can talk you through all of that. And I know all of that. And even while I'm saying that to you, there will be moments where my little mind whispers to me, your body betrayed you. Your body's broken. Something's wrong with you. And I'm like, it doesn't matter how much I know this not to be true. And yet, like, it's just something that, like, it creeps in. And then you want to be intimate with somebody with your body that you're, like, having a battle with, that you're like, I don't know how to feel about you right now. And, like, wanting to settle down and wanting to find peace because then there's the additional component where it's like, oh, you have to de-stress, you know, cortisol and relax and, like, be okay (laughs) with it. And it's like this really fucked up dance where I'm just, like, kind of bouncing around and running into things. And, yeah, and it's really interesting, like, having or have a really, really close group of friends. And there's one that's just, like, we're ready to get pregnant. And then the next time they try pregnant. And I'm like, and then healthy baby. And I'm just like amazing. Look, like she was the, one of the first ones in our friend group to even get pregnant and then have it. I'm like, Oh yeah, see, we're all healthy and we have great strong community and we mean it. And I have all these other boxes. Yeah. 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 And then I have friends that kind of went back and forth with trying and then pulling back because of thyroid issues. And so Mm -hmm. I got to see like how that looked with navigating Hashimoto's and healing from that. And then what did pregnancy look like for her? And then also the mindset kind of perspective, then having another friend that were kind of on the same timeline, 
only we started a little bit before them and mm-hmm. now moving through the feeling of what if they get pregnant before we do oh, and yeah. how's that going to feel and feeling these weird and super intense and kind of fucked up waves of jealousy, of grief, of excitement, of celebration. It's just the whole rainbow of emotions. Mm-hmm. And at the same time thinking when the miscarriage actually happened, my hope is that I don't have to go through that again, though, every year that goes by the percentage of likelihood of that happening again, in some way is increasing for us because we will be 35 and older as we move through this process, if we want more kids. And so just knowing that piece of data and it's, yeah, like that data, like it's only really getting significant into your forties. So I think that's important to understand right. because yeah. everybody talks about like the over 35, the over th- your fertility's tank. It does not just fall off a cliff and your miscarriage rate doesn't just like shoot through the roof. Like it's not until we get into our forties that that's when we start to see significant rises that yes, things are changing. And if you think about this, this is like, this is data based off the average person and the average person, they are not living the kind of lifestyle you are. So keep that in mind. And like, please nobody like judge us for the sins of our like early twenties and the teenage life. But if you think about that, how the average person lives, like that's significantly different. That's high exposure to environmental toxins. That's going to be eating food. That's not protective of the mitochondria for people who are listening mitochondria, everyone's like powerhouse of the cells, like makes ATP energy. Great. Yes. But does so much more than that concentrated in your brain, your heart, and your ovaries. Your ovaries are one of the most concentrated places of mitochondria. This is where I'm like, biohackers do have an edge on that because they do understand the relationship of health and longevity and the mitochondria. And that is about your fertility. So if you are somebody who used antibiotics for a very long time, like you're going to have to do work to heal the mitochondria. Like it's been impacted in that way. So you just have to step back and like frame it of like, there's the average people that they're looking at. And the average person isn't healthy. The studies that are like, oh, fertility over like 35 and stuff, like there's like a study like a hundred years ago. Life was very different a hundred years ago. And so I feel like there's a lot of like fear and rushing into like motherhood and then having that that fear. I had my second child at 40 and I actually birthed him in Mexico because this was during the pandemic and I was not I did not like anything. Okay, like firstly, maternal mortality rate, very high in the United States. Obstetric violence, very high in the United States. And then we had hospitals being like, yeah, you can come in, but your partner can't come in and like no videoing and this and that. I'm like, well, just tell me that you're going to violate my rights. Like, just tell me because that's what you're, that's what you're essentially, you're setting me up to do is to violate my rights. And I had just too many people in my life, go in and have horrible, horrible experiences. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. So I actually went to Mexico and had a home birth with a gynecologist, an OB-GYN. An OB-GYN attended my birth along with a general surgeon and a neonatologist. (laughs) So like, this is the like, yeah, people are like, oh, Mexico, gross. I'm like, okay, well, like my family's from Mexico. So like, what are you saying? Like, okay, so firstly that, And secondly, like, where can you get that kind of setup for a home birth? And it was amazing. And everything was absolutely wonderful about it. But when I asked them, hey, like, I'm going to be 40. Do you have any concerns about that? They laughed and they (laughs) they never forget the doctor being like, and he wasn't 
totally fluent in English and I am not fluent in Spanish. And so there was some of which we could say to each other and that we had other people helping us communicate, but he just laughed when they translated and he was like, tell her, that's how we know you're from the United States. Cause you think having a baby at 40 is like some big new thing. And I was like, oh my gosh. That is like such perspective. He's like, women have babies in their 40s all the time here. And I was like, yeah, wait a minute. This is true globally. But in the United States, we act like this is like such an outlier situation. And it's even, you know, as we were talking about, the amount of hate that I've gotten from people, they've said some really hateful things that like, yeah, well, you're in your 40s. So like, I mean, literally getting, I remember a DM of someone saying like, yeah, it's good thing that your baby died because you're too old. And I was like, what did you do? And like, there are moments of grief and then there are moments of rage, rage where you're just like, you don't even know me. And you just thought you could come in here, you little keyboard warrior saying hateful things. And I think where I go in that moment is like, if this person had the audacity to say this to me, like who else are they out there just saying hateful, hurtful things to people? And that really upsets me because I think that the internet has such potential to be such a great uplifting place, but God, do people just show like the worst of themselves sometimes. Ugh, and I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that, that you experience that. And it's unfortunately a thing for people who are living their lives out loud for others. And as far as we go and our following what we've created up to this point is a small fraction of what you have and what you've built over the years. And in a day I will receive so much positive feedback and so much like you've changed our relationship. You introduced me to this, you introduced me to Jolene Brighton and now this is so much better. And, or I love that we get to be a bridge for so many people and we get to introduce them to so much. And I am filled. My heart is filled with so much joy with all the positive feedback. And then it takes that one motherfucker in the day. Like I love that you say that. (laughs) And then I have to like process. I have to like, wow, let me go into my tool belt because I literally want to rage right now. And I'm like, why? I'm like, I literally, I just got several messages that were heart, so heartfelt and tear filled and so thankful. And I've got the one person that I don't even know if they're following me. I know. Are they usually not? Are they they even a person? Yes. Are they a bot? Because sometimes I'm like, I don't know. The thing I've also come is like, if this coward cannot use their face and their actual name, then they don't get any of my time. Like, and I just chalk it up to like, I'm like, I'm going to call you a bot because that gives me peace. But like, you're really just a coward. Right. Um, Yeah. It's such a complicated thing. You know, as you were saying, like the joy and everything. So I don't even know when this is coming out, but it's like, this might be a great like moment or it might be a womp womp. Why I have to say that moment, but I found out I was pregnant on my birthday this year. So we were talking about that before we recorded and I've been really open about my journey and I want to share this, but I'm in that part of like, I had an ultrasound there was a flicker, not a heartbeat yet, but there was a flicker, which is a really positive sign. And like my doctors wanted to see me early because after 40, we do want to make sure it's not ectopic. That is important. So, and then they're like, oh, you have to come back. So I'm literally like, I'm counting every day. I have a week to go to get that next ultrasound. And it's like, as we were saying, like holding our breath and I wanted to talk about it, and then like Elise Myers on TikTok announced her her pregnancy. And then like Megan, Megan Trainer, like, and then like another, and like all of these people have announced, and it's like, 
And I have this, I'm like, oh my God, we're all pregnant at the same time. And even as I've gone through miscarriages, like it's so excited for people. And then there are those moments where like, I'm sim- it's like so interesting because you'll hear all these like, mindfulness gurus meditation gurus and stuff be like you can't be simultaneously grateful and resentful and i'm like bullshit like you've never had a miscarriage you've never like experienced like (laughs) the spectrum of like human life in that way because i can at the same time be like i am so happy for them and then be like oh but i'm so feeling my pain and wishing i didn't see this but i'm happy that i saw this and i'm happy for them And it's such an interesting dichotomy and it is happening all at the same time. I think sometimes we like to think that emotions go like you're in one emotion Mm -hmm. and then you switch to the other emotion, but you can really feel all of that in the same moments. And so, as I was saying, I was like, I want to share it, but then like, what if there's a loss? And then I'm like talking about, oh, loss. And then like, how does that impact? Because it's just, I'm not as, as big as like Elise Myers and I love her, but I still just know how the algorithm works and how that might get in front of her or people might misconstrue and think that I'm being like hateful or all of the, And I do want to talk about all of the layers of that. And I've like recorded yeah. some videos about how like I went, my doctors were like, go get your HCG, go get, go get your testing, which I've done every time. And this time I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to LA. I'm going to record my podcast like for my book that's coming out. And I don't want to be worrying about whether or not that HCG doubles. Like I just need to be in the moment present. I've got to travel with two kids and a dog. I got to be like full brain power, mama focused. I cannot be dwelling in like, what ifs? I just need to be like, okay, one foot in front of the other one day at a time. And I've come back and they're like, are you going to go get your HCG? And I'm like, no, I am not. We will do the ultrasound, but like, why jump through the hoop again? It's going to be what it's going to be. We know it's not a topic. I'm this, I'm not going to sweat that right now. Sex and Love Co. is officially back in bed with Yoni Pleasure Palace. We really are a match made in heaven. YPP continuously amazes me. Once a company known for their Yoni eggs and crystal pleasure wands, they have grown into a truly remarkable brand with many services and additional products like glass, steel, and wood pleasure tools for those of you who like a more natural element in your toy collection, as well as waterproof sex blankets. You know, that's one of my faves. Yoni steam herbs and stools, strap-on harnesses, specialty vibrators, anal toys and prostate massagers, water and oil-based lubricants, breast massage oil, menstrual products, and so much more. If you can believe, I have quite a collection of things that fall under the category of adult products. By far, the most impressive part of my collection are the items I have by Yoni Pleasure Palace. Every purchase I make or gift that I give from YPP has an element of sacredness to it. And that truly takes them above and beyond any other brand I've tried or that I've worked with. I've got great news, my love. With our recent recommitment and partnership, Yoni Pleasure Palace has increased my code, that sex chick, from taking 10% off of your order to 15% off your entire YPP purchase. Hell yes. So head to the link in the show notes to add Yoni Pleasure Palace to your collection. And don't forget to use the promo code ThatSexChick at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Uh, yeah, different waves and levels of empowerment, you know, what feels empowering to you at various times. And sometimes I've realized like the data feels empowering until it doesn't. And yeah. the community 
and feeling like I'm not alone and getting that kind of information feels empowering until it feels like a pity party. And I actually got to get out of here and I got to go find my happy and I got to go let this shit go. And the, and it's so funny, the two opposite ends of the spectrum emotion thing. And I remember when I was listening to Brene Brown's, I think it's her most recent book, Atlas of the Heart, when she was talking about emotionally advanced or emotionally intelligent people who can have are ones that can hold to opposing emotions simultaneously, like the term bittersweet, where we're, we're grieving yeah. because it's joy that you're losing a thing. And that's so spot on. Yeah. And to think like in the loss, there's also hope, like things are working here. Something's happening here. And, yeah. and there's still so much time and so much room and so much hope. And thank you for the over 35 and the joke. And I did some extensive traveling in my twenties and I always laughed at other countries responses to our medical system. So I lived oh, and worked yeah. on, I lived and worked on cruise ships for almost six years in my twenties. And there was oh, always, wow. yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah. in a lot of places and I've had medical stuff done in Mexico intentionally because it was cheaper and I was going to get better care in Mexico. And so when, even when you said that, I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. There's a so, lot of people who go to IVF in Mexico yeah, as yeah. well, because not only is it affordable, so I'm like biased, right? Being Mexican, sure. I'm biased because yeah. I just think that culturally we're very loving and we're very kind. And that has just always been my experience. And that was my experience in the healthcare there as well. And it isn't like this, just treating you like a number, a statistic, right. data, like one more body in a room. Yeah. They have great bedside manner. It's just like mm -hmm. every person that I feel like I'm communicating with or I'm interacting with, you can feel the love and usually yes. the stimming their family kind of like stimming out and how they feel about their family. But yeah, I remember when I worked on cruise ships, a lot of times the doctors were from different countries, usually South Africa and a variety of places, mm -hmm. UK and all that. And their response was that Americans would go into the medical facility and they'd basically just give them a prescription because if they didn't, they would just hand out Z-packs as if it were candy. Cause it was like, mm -hmm. you know, people would come and they would have a feeling about a certain thing. And if I just told them go rest or go get some sun or do something good for yourself, then they might write a terrible review. And then their job was at in yeah. jeopardy and they totally had no understanding. And I'd heard this from multiple practitioners when they were in their country of origin, it was a totally different experience than when they were working with the Americans. And so I'm just reminded it's been a while since I've been in that environment and kind of took it all with a grain of salt. And so I'm happy to just hear that that was your experience. And I'm very curious about another part of your story, which is PCOS. And I don't think I've spoken to anyone about that on the show yet, but I know that that's also a part of your journey and a part of your story. And so we've got healthy, thriving, you know, I don't, I don't have PCOS. Hang on. Maybe oh, but Hashimoto's? How do you, I have Hashimoto's. It's Hashimoto's. Okay. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was one or the other and I was going to get it That's right. Okay. One I talk the about PCOS all so, okay. the time and it's in my book. Is this normal? So Great. it's like, that's easy. Yeah. Great. So, and I have a note here too, and it just says PCOS and I'm like, oh, this must be the thing. So, so Hashimoto's then. So having <laughs> autoimmune, having something going on, that's like not optimal yeah. for fertility. And then if you, and then to touch on PCOS, I mean, we haven't talked about Hashimoto's and fertility on the show either. So the general question though, is when something's maybe not optimal with the body, and then you have mm -hmm. several things that might on paper be going against what you ultimately want, which would be having a baby at whatever age, what does that process look like? Like, how do you work on functionality and like wanting to essentially, I think what I'm getting to in the question is, is there a certain place that you feel maybe this is you personally comfortable with getting at with markers and certain, certain aspects of your health where you're like, now I'm happy to go and open the portal of sorts, you know, like now mm -hmm. is time to say, yes, go for a baby. And is there kind of like a line to where it's like, 
you can never really get to perfect. And so I think that's important to understand that you can't get to perfect because perfect would be cure and we can't cure a chronic illness. Even though some drug companies do make promises, uh, you really can't. They actually don't want to, right? Because as somebody with Hashimoto's that had enough autoimmune destruction of their thyroid, I have to take medication every day. Like, cha-ching, like you get to be like a forever customer. And I totally get people's hesitancy to want to be on a medication, but thyroid is non-negotiable. It's like, we all understand diabetes. If you don't have insulin, you have to have insulin. It's non-negotiable. You will die. You'll die sooner of diabetes, not having insulin available. You will not die as quickly, but you will die painfully if you have hypothyroidism and you don't replace it. And that is because you will go into, you'll start having neurological issues. You'll start having cardiovascular issues. Like you'll start having high cholesterol. Like your body will start to degrade. It no longer can heal. It can no longer recover. It is not a route to go. And so I always explain that to people because people are like, why would you take a medication? And I'm like, because dying sucks. Okay. Like it sucks when you have to do it painfully, but also I like to show up for my kids and like people in my life. Like that's really important to me. So with Hashimoto's, the I in any autoimmune condition, we can put it in remission. And really the goal should be to get those antibodies in remission. So TPO antibodies, those are the most common to be elevated with Hashimoto's. Those are thyroid peroxidase antibodies. You can also have thyroglobulin. Sorry, let me get that word out. So it can be both. It can be either or. If those are elevated, the research on TPO antibodies has shown us you have a higher risk of miscarriage. And so we definitely want to get those in remission before pregnancy. We want to get them in remission for everyone just so that you feel good because remission means that the autoimmune fire has been dampened down and that you're no longer hot and bothered to destroy that thyroid tissue. So the TPO antibodies are really important to track, but it's I know some providers that sometimes are like, oh, let's check them like every three to six months. And I'm like, Mm, like really like once a year might be better for people because again, the stress of that stress is going to cause antibodies to flare stress causes our immune system to get aggravated. And that's important to recognize. So the other thing, why we want to get TPO antibodies in remission before pregnancy is they can cross the placenta. And so I have a maternal fetal medicine specialist because over 40, you're going to need one. Because there are some risks that could, there's all of these risks with pregnancy. My pregnancy at 40 was easier than my pregnancy at 31. And I felt amazing. Like the entire time, like birth was easier. Recovery was easier. <laughs> I'm just like, why was I told all this was going to be harder? It was like way <laughs> better. But the other thing is that if you have Hashimoto's, you should have an MFM. And they should be monitoring your thyroid antibodies. If they're elevated, if you can find them in the third trimester, there needs to be an ultrasound of baby. So if you, right, but like seeing baby's thyroid, because those antibodies could result in hypothyroidism and that's not compatible with life or thriving and your baby may need thyroid hormone when they come out, there may need to be interventions. And that doesn't mean that you did something bad or that like baby's destined for this horrible life or anything like that. It's just like, we may have to just temporarily come in, make sure that you're meeting with a neonatologist, that you're getting support from the right people so that baby can thrive and feel their best. So that's just the antibody component. And then there's the whole thyroid component. And so this is something I'm really passionate about because I developed Hashimoto's postpartum 
called postpartum thyroiditis, roughly one in 12 women worldwide develop it. So common. And it can go into remission after a year, but that's not true for everyone. And after a year, then you're diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And this is just, I honestly think a silly, silly way the system works because we're saying like, oh, it'll go into remission, but then it's 50% more likely to come back with your next pregnancy and that you're going to, it's going to be permanent. So what are we saying? We're saying like, oh, you have autoimmune potential. We need to address that differently instead of just being like, you're fine. It's in remission now. So with that, my very first miscarriage was because a doctor mismanaged my thyroid. Mm -hmm. Your TSH being above 2.5 could make it more difficult to become pregnant or more likely that you'll have a miscarriage. And so typically we like to see a TSH below 2.5 in that first trimester and even into the second trimester until baby's thyroid takes over. Now, while I will tell you, okay, so let me back up. Everybody listening, TSH, that's a brain hormone. It's a pituitary hormone. Says to the thyroid, make thyroid hormone. Thyroid kicks out mostly T4. T4 is super important. It crosses the placenta. Anybody who has been in the biohacking space, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, is educated in any way about thyroid, knows that we need T4 and T3. So then they get confused when they're pregnant and their doctor's like, I want to give you Synthroid, which is levothyroxine, a synthetic T4. And then someone like me is like, yeah, good idea. And they're like, but wait a minute. Like I want to have T3 as well. We want the hormone that crosses the placenta. That is what's going to be super, super important. And T3 can be really aggravating. Like you have to get it right. And pregnancy is not a time to play around with T3. So T3 gets, but you can make it because that T4 gets converted to T3 in your peripheral tissues. By the way, prenatals have everything you need to make that conversion into T3s and like to support your body in using it. So that's awesome. You're already doing that. But supporting your gut health, your liver health, your kidneys, like all of that's going to help with the conversion of T4 to T3. So I just covered like a whole lot there. Yeah. And I hope that helps answer your question. No, for sure. I mean, well, that certainly helped with when I mentioned that when I was talking about our friends and they're going through their pregnancy journey and all of that. And so, I mean, you breaking it down like that definitely helped because I've hurt her in so many ways, like describing these things. And now I feel maybe even a little bit closer to her and her journey. And I'm sure that there's so many people that are listening that are curious about these things for themselves, or they went through it, but haven't heard it really talked about that much. Mm -hmm. And you said, you know, this is an experience for one in 12 people. That's pretty common. So yeah, it's important. And the question of like, if you have these things going on, it seems as though like for someone who is wanting to be optimal in general with their hormones and their health and fertility and all that, whether they're looking to have a baby or not, just how to look at the body in a holistic way that doesn't feel overwhelming and feels mm -hmm. like they can really take action. Because when I'm hearing that, it's like, okay, well, if you have these things, when it comes down to the thyroid, even then you have an increased chance of miscarriage. And so it's like, okay, well, that wasn't due to chromosomes necessarily, right? So that was something that I could have done I need to do something that your in doctor order. could have done. Okay. Right. Like, let's yeah. make that clear because Great. this is not cool to put the burden on the patient that they should be educated in all these ways and know all these things. And yet that happens right. in the US so, so often. Mm -hmm. It should have been your doctor who was ordering that as a part of that first trimester panel and looking at that and being educated enough. But I will tell you that your, your average birth provider isn't going to have a clue of what to really do with thyroid and anything that they did get is really outdated information. And they tend to err on the side of error <laughs> than on on caution. You know, I'll say like, even working with my own team, my OB guys, like just did not understand. They were like, 
my, so what happens to me in pregnancy is my TSH always drops and it would look like I'm hyperthyroid, but my T4 will be normal. And sometimes my T3 is even low, like bef- below three. And I, and I want my T4 to be at least my free, these are free hormones to be at least one. And in my third trimester, this is what it looks like. And I was like, yeah, that, like that's, that tracks that happens with me. And my regular OB guide was, this is the one here where I live, not who was going to deliver my baby. She was like, oh, we need to drop your thyroid medication. And I was like, no, you actually don't. If you look at the free hormones and she's like, you're hyperthyroid. That's really common in pregnancy. I was like, you can't know that. You didn't run run Graves antibodies. Like I'm having this conversation. She's like, I'm going to drop your thyroid by a quarter. When I get the prescription that she was prescribing me, a quarter of what the dose, she didn't drop it by a quarter. And I was like, you can't do this. If you drop my thyroid like prescription, the, and she wasn't even my main prescriber, but I was like, if you drop it that much, now you put me at risk for preterm labor, preeclampsia, like possibly stillbirth. Like this becomes very problematic because my body has to start choosing like how to survive. Mm-hmm. And I'm explaining this to her and I'm explaining like I'm already at this high risk. And she's just like, you just can't have a TSH like that. And I was just like, ma'am, doctor, <laughs> F the TSH. Look at the full picture of what's going on here. Also, <laughs> look at how much weight I am gaining. Like I am gaining like that pre- that last pregnancy. Like, I mean, I gained a normal amount of weight, but because it was like post me having COVID and I had like exercise intolerance, like while well, I, I had POTS and exercise intolerance. And then after the first trimester, I didn't and everything started to get better. But like I had had all this time of like inactivity and like difficulty, like even just like I would try to like do a deadlift. And like after two, I'm like, oh my God, my heart is going to pound out of my chest, like pre-pregnancy. Oh. So there was a lot like to that of like why I was gaining weight. It still just was like a normal weight, but still like I felt like on the high end for my body. And I'm like, if I was hyperthyroid, think about all the symptoms I'd be having. Like my heart rate would be up. I'd be sweating. Like I'm listing this off. And it was just like an argument. And I was just like, whatever. I'm not like, you just can hand me that prescription. Like I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I talked to my MFM about it. And I'm like, because even though I'm a doctor and this is my expertise, like I still want a like objective opinion about my body. And she was like, do not drop your thyroid hormone. Like your thyroid, she's like, honestly, like your free T4 and free T3 could be higher. Who cares about the TSH? I was like, word, who cares about the TSH? Because look at the full picture, look at the symptoms, like all of that. And she was like, yeah, that would be risky to be changing that drastically. And I was like, I think at that point it was like 30 weeks, maybe 32 weeks. And she's like, yeah, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And what I hear in that is like, you have to be your own advocate. And at the same time, there's going to be times when, you know, if you're not a doctor and you're seeking out care, that there's potentially going to be some things that you learn. I don't want to say it's like learn the hard way. You're just going to learn. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. then gain more information and then you can advocate for yourself and you can have a bigger picture of your test results and what they mean for you and your unique body and where you're at and all of that. And so it's pretty incredible. So I want to shift a little bit and just ask generally about the topic of hormones and the Mm -hmm. role that hormones play. Now, when after the miscarriage that I recently had at first, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to de-stress my life. And at first I was like, I'm not going to go back down the functional medicine route. I'd done it a couple years prior when I was in the prep phase for baby. That's yeah. at least what I thought. And I had all these markers for SIBO and had my gallbladder removed when I was in high school. Oh, and man. Yeah. so I just, I had like, there was like stuff going on and had a South Louisiana diet 
my pretty much my whole life and only found my way to health and nutrition and fitness and well-being and all that and towards like the start of my 30s basically the end of my 20s start of my 30s and so and like I knew stuff was going on in the gut. And I remember when I first got the early release of your book and I like immediately flipped the page that was like periods and pooping or something. Uh, it was like, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if it was exactly that, but my issue was constipation for the majority of my yeah. life. It was constipation. When I had my gallbladder removed, it was IBS and to the degree of like, if I looked at food, like three bites in and I would have to go to the bathroom. And so it was yeah. more in the spirit of too much information that sex check listeners, like I would have diarrhea really fast. And then as I progressed and didn't change my eating habits because I was 17 when I had it removed. And I came from a family that they had no idea that then eventually yeah. it, it transitioned into constipation and I couldn't eliminate. And then occasionally mm -hmm. even getting impacted and just like having a really hard time knowing something was going on with my digestive system and all regular doctors were just like, you have gastroenteritis, take this pill. And like nothing mm -hmm. was ever really getting to the root cause. So I, I made my entrance into functional medicine and doing naturopathic medicine a couple of years ago, thinking that it was, this is the year of prep for baby. And it happened to be the year that we were also getting married and all of that. And so did some work on the SIBO front and then took a break, decided after several months of working on that, getting blood markers back, they were better. But then I wound up kind of finding myself in some back into some bad habits that I'm sure that a number of women who are listening to this might resonate with where my bad habit is not eating. My bad habit mm. is I'm waiting too late. And at times when I've actually tracked my macros, I'm not getting enough protein. I'm not getting enough of the healthy fats. I'm barely, I live with a guy that pretty much lives by keto, which I know is not great, especially for long-term for women and hormones and health and all that. And so I wasn't sure if I was going to go back down the functional medicine route, what I was going to do in this window of time where like how much proactivity do I want to have with this whole baby thing? And then eventually all that to say, I eventually kind of just surrendered to it all. And was like, you know what? I'm going to get new testing done. Let me just get the mm -hmm. tests and see how I feel about it and what's going on. And so I did a Dutch plus for the first time and it was really interesting, really like I wake up in the day and wear it for first thing in the morning and have normal cortisol. And then it would tank all day, just mm -hmm. like low, low, low. And so I had no idea that I had low cortisol and then essentially low everything else. Like, because yeah. this was low, apparently, and then you can probably describe this a little bit more, but it's like, it takes the reserve of where it would be producing for the other ones because it thinks that I'm stressed out and we can't make a baby. We've got, we've, we're, we're, running for a lion or whatever yeah, the yeah. phrasing is where it's like, if you're stressed out, then you don't have the reserve to be able or like the functionality to be able to make some of those other hormones. And so I had no idea that it was like that internally. And so I have done a major refocusing of my life to de-stress my life. And then have also wound up discovering that there's H pylori issues and have a parasite going on. And so I'm like, wow. And how much of this do I need to actually address before it's healthy and it's time for yeah. me to try for baby. So the role of hormones and all of this getting to the root cause you know, this is kind of maybe more of the deeper work that you do and how can people choose roots of care and what to really listen to and how much to like absorb and say, okay, now I feel empowered. I'm going to go make my decisions versus that is a lot and I'm never going to be ready. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have to get the gut ready because your gut microbiome becomes baby's gut microbiome. And that's like everything in life. Right. And so big thing that often gets missed when treating H. pylori is that you often are swapping it in your saliva with your partner. Right. So it's not an STI, but your partner needs to be treated too, because otherwise you're just going to start like keep reinfecting each other. Yeah. Once with the H. pylori, 
cleared, like the hydrochloric acid is really important. So H. pylori is suppressing hydrochloric acid. It's why you get heartburn. That seems confusing, but because you need a certain amount of hydrochloric acid for the esophageal sphincter, the gatekeeper between your stomach and your throat to close. And we need that to liberate all the minerals and nutrients that are especially important for your health, but for baby's health as well. And when we are pregnant, especially as we get into the third trimester and then into the breastfeeding phase, we need a lot of nutrients. We don't want to lose our teeth, right? We want to keep healthy bones. <laughs> like we don't want to like have to borrow our calcium, get your calcium, right? So you're going to have to need stomach acid for that. When you have ample stomach acid, you eat sushi and a parasite dies when you don't have ample stomach acid. You right. eat some of these things. By the way, like a good sushi, like you shouldn't have to worry. But, you know, if you're an airport eating sushi friend, you are like the biggest risk taker I know. Like That's a lot. So with that, though, like we've got to get the stomach acid right. We've got to clear out a parasite because when there's inflammation in the gut, that is something that the adrenal glands perceive as stress because their job is to produce cortisol that dampens that heat, basically, like helps with the inflammation. And we know that the gut and the vagina, they are sharing microbes and that inflammation in the body can affect inflammation in the uterus. And what's interesting is that there has been preliminary research. We need a lot more to understand this, but it speculates that when a fertilized egg is making its journey, so everybody knows uh, egg and sperm meet in the fallopian tube. This is why there can be a risk of ectopic pregnancy and that is outside the uterus. And then it makes a little travel, a little journey down and then embeds itself in the uterine lining. There is research that speculates that it may actually survey the environment and be like, okay, how are our nutrients? How's our inflammation? If things aren't looking good, it doesn't actually implant. Like something happens. Is it the fertilized egg that's making this decision or is it your body making this decision? We don't really know. But is this your fault? No, it is a must happen kind of thing because you've got healing to do. And so this is a keep you safe mechanism. So that's definitely important. Now, as you were talking about with the low cortisol, so I would just say everyone definitely clean up your gut and you can do that usually in a matter of three months and sometimes sooner. Like sometimes, you know, depending on what you're going on and what's going on, you can move through things sooner. But like an H. pylori treatment is going to be at least two weeks to 30 days. And then a parasite, got to hate parasite. I like hate, yeah. I talk about STIs in my book and then the ones I like really yeah. freaking hate are like the parasitic ones. And I'm just like, oh, you're disgusting. I hate you. Like, I wish <laughs> that you did not like plague the world with your presence. So <laughs> parasites can definitely take longer. But as you were talking about with the low cortisol piece, so in the book, Is This Normal? I have quizzes that I have all kinds of quizzes and checklists, but I have I a know, main one. Awesome. That gets into the second half. It's in the second half of the book. When you get in, there's a quiz like right away and it helps you evaluate your hormones. And when I talk about the low cortisol, it's really funny because there's a box about low cortisol. And my editor was like, we got to cut things because yeah, it's 126,000 words. I submitted way more than that, but like we had to cut things. And that was one thing that my editor's like, let's take out all this stuff about low cortisol. It doesn't seem necessary. I'm like, no, people need to understand that low cortisol is rarely truly low cortisol. It is usually a response because what I see a lot of people do is in their minds, they're like, okay, I just need to get more cortisol. And then they like are like getting adrenal glandular supplements online and being like, oh, I need to like take mass amounts of that. And I'm like, oh my God, you're gonna have so much anxiety. Like, I don't wanna right. be in your body. Like I feel for you right now. And that's not really the problem. The problem is it's been too much high cortisol for too long. 
high cortisol is a bad state to be in. It is pro-aging. Not like, I mean, yes, you will get like fine lines and wrinkles and not Loki's young. Yes, there's that. But at the cellular level, mm -hmm. your cells are aging rapidly and that's not compatible with life. And so your body being really wise is like, let's downregulate receptors. The HPA access starts to get wonky. So that's how the brain and the adrenal glands talk. You start deactivating enzymes, activating enzymes, doing different things to compensate. And then you end up with this low cortisol state. And that's where people are like, oh, we need to like turn up the fire. We need to put like pump on the gas. And I'm like, you actually need to slow down <laughs> really. And what you did is exactly perfect. Like reevaluating your life. There's this really interesting thing that I've experienced. And a lot of my patients have talked about, and I've heard a lot from women of like how, when you become pregnant, the way the hormones affect you is you start just not caring about some things. There are literal moments where someone says something hateful or attacks, like it's usually like if you attack someone else in my community, like we're going to have beef. And I just want to like, write, shut up, get out of here. Stop trolling. Like just be like really like blunt about it. But it is this way of being where it's like your body, your hormones just start shifting your priorities. And those priorities are, does it actually matter? Okay, we're going to invest in that. And then if the answer is no, it doesn't, you start letting things go that really we should have let go all along, but it took like those yummy nourishing hormones to come in and be like, okay, let me tell you how this works now. So yes. So anyhow, with the adrenal piece, I think people get really like stress is bad for our fertility. Stress is bad for, I mean, for everything, right? I have protocols in the book to help with adrenal health, but I think there's definitely people out there that are like, oh, if your adrenals aren't right, you have to spend the next 18 months getting those right before you can get pregnant. And it's like, I don't know that you really do, but also know that the hardest thing that's ever going to happen to your adrenal glands is being a new mom. That is real talk of not sleeping, not eating regularly. Friend, you're going to have to set an alarm when you finally have that baby. You're going to have to set oh, yeah. an alarm to eat if that's your problem because- I'm doing it now. It's yeah, it's I'm really a common it. thing to forget to eat and to be like, oh, I seriously- drink collagen and drink collagen like all the time, especially being in my forties, I'm getting really not neurotic. <laughs> you, you have said that word earlier. I'm like, why do I want to say that word? Cause it's not, um, yeah. but really just seriously tracking my protein because I don't yeah. want to end up a sarcopenic obesity case because that's what I studied in my, when I was studying my master's in nutrition and I just don't want to be that. I just think we need to just honor the fact that we don't get it perfect and we don't get it right as humans. And as providers, we need to be objective, less biased and more supportive that like life is just, it's crazy. So I'm like, look, I'm about, my book comes out soon and I'm literally telling people, people are like, I mean, I'm getting texts about playdates and stuff. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Can you text my husband? Cause I literally can't manage this right now. Like my plate is full. Like, <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so real. And then somewhere in there, could be a lot of people that are not absorbing any of the information at all and are just rolling with the punches as they come. Mm. And I'm not necessarily, I mean, I wonder what that experience is like where they are maybe a little bit detached from the social media thing and the online pop culture world and all of that and maybe disconnected from, I don't know. I, I mean, I talk about, I think about people that I grew up with from back home in down South Louisiana and how granted they were starting to have families pretty, pretty young. So maybe mm -hmm. that that's a component to it where they're just like, oh, we're just going to get pregnant. And I don't know what level of cycle tracking or any, and that any of the things that I am doing now, I don't think that any of those play a role in some interesting ways. It feels like an element of privilege. And also it feels like a jail at the same yeah. time you know like it is like, like 
Yeah, I would say like it is maddening making at times, but I will say that like, I want to encourage you to keep going with tracking your cycle because you will be able to dial in getting pregnant so much faster. Like so many people, like why is it that the recommendation is like, oh, if you're younger than 35 and it's been a year of being unsuccessful, go see a provider. And then if you're over 35 and it's been six months, then go see a provider. Why is that? Because nobody's like talking to you about when to do it. Nobody talks to you about anything about the whole sex component of like life and being in a relationship. It's like why I wrote this whole book, like the whole, so we haven't even like talked about the book this much, but is this normal? Like the first section is all about sex. And like, we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about what does sex mean? We don't talk about what's normal, what's not normal with sex. And then the majority of people don't even get taught when to have sex if you want to have a baby. And so definitely knowing when you're ovulating and like it takes at least three months yeah. to really dial in the temperature. I don't know what you're using. I use an aura ring and it's connected to natural cycles. And I love that. And because it just all oh, does it for me. Like I just press a button and it sinks and it's done and that's it. And I don't have to worry right. about it and do anything additional other than tracking like my physical symptoms of like, oh, that's fertile cervical mucus. Oh, I'm like my libido's up, which for everybody listening, if you're just like, yawn, I don't even want to have a baby. Like, why are they still talking about this? This is just where we landed today. <laughs> this is just like where we landed. But it's important to recognize that there is a sexual phase of your cycle. It's the ovulatory phase. But what I like about, I came across a research paper that was like, there is this like five to six day sexual phase of the cycle. And I right away was like, they're talking about ovulation. Like I know they're talking about ovulation because I know what your hormones are doing and all of that. But what I liked about that is that if you're trying to get pregnant, and I think just if you're trying to understand your body, understand there's an ovulatory right. phase. But if you're not, and the furthest thing from your mind is a baby, being able to frame it in a way that doesn't just reduce you to your like reproductive capacity or talk about it in a way that doesn't rip the bandage off the wound every time if you have experienced loss is really empowering. And if people are like, well, just get to it. Like, when is it? No, you have to read the book. No, I'm just kidding. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like people who do that. So both. it's both. Yeah. We'll tell you and so, read the and, book. Yes, I will tell you and read the book. Okay, so the sexual phase is the part of your cycle where estrogen is rising. So estrogen rises and then spikes. And that spike in estrogen mid-cycle-ish is what tells the brain that the egg is ready. The brain then releases LH hormone, luteinizing hormone. That causes the egg to be released in about 24 to 48 hours. The quicker the egg is released, the shorter your sexual phase. That's about five days. But if it takes two days, then you get that extra sixth a day. Okay, so it is when estrogen and then both testosterone are rising. That's about three days before the LH spike. You're going to be a lot more in the mood. You're going to have sex more on the brain. You're going to be easier to orgasm. You're going to be into experimenting more things. You're going to be filling yourself. You're going to be like, I look so good. I feel Mm -hmm. so good in my body. Everything is just so good in that sexual phase. And so... Then LH is going to spike. Okay, now we're in the fourth day. And then the day after is the fifth. And then as soon as ovulation happens, what is left behind is a temporary endocrine structure in the ovaries called the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum's job is to make progesterone. This is the only time you have sufficient progesterone in your body is post-ovulation. 
And progesterone is nice try to get that sperm. You had your chance, friend. We are not going to be pursuing sex in the same way anymore. Right. And so um, progesterone is, it's the vibe is like, I want to get in some sweatpants, not in their pants, not in their pants at all. And so <laughs> that is why you, and this is, I think, always so important in heterosexual couples for men to understand because it's usually by the second week going in the second week of the luteal phase, men are like, <laughs> they're like, why is she not into right. me? And it's like, well, because progesterone, <laughs> because progesterone. So she was really, really into you. And now she doesn't seem as into you, but it's not that. She's just less inclined to initiate sex, to think about sex. But if you can, and I talk about the sexual excitation and inhibition model in the book, which is basically like what hits the gas pedal and the brake. Mm -hmm. If you can remove brakes in the luteal phase, then all of your gas pedal advances, the things that turn her on are going to be better received. And it's going to be one of those situations that if you can start stimulating her and her nervous system gets the message and her brain computes, it's going to be like, oh yeah, no way. This thing, we like this thing, let's right. go. But it might take a little bit longer. And by the way, so everybody knows, I do break this down in the book. There's a whole lot of chapters about sex. And then we get into the 28 day program where I take you through the cycle and sex and you have all these exercises to do. You can just focus on just fixing your hormones. If you're like, I just got hormone problems. I don't even care about anything else. That's fine. Even when you're ready. And I hope there's a when you can come back, you can do the sexual right. stuff, but I just really wanted to make it so people understood what their normal is. Because I'm sure you experience this a lot, but when it comes to talking about sex and when it just comes to sex in general, it's always comparative. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't sit here and go like, oh, why isn't my period exactly like my friend's period? Why is it my cycle is not exactly like my friend's cycle? Like, why is it my sleep's not exactly my neighbor's sleep? When it comes to libido, when right. it comes to sex, like we're comparing. It's sometimes high key comparing, but a lot of times low key comparing or like looking yeah. at media and being like, oh, why don't I have that kind of relationship? And it's like, well, because that's fictitious. It's not real. Yeah, yeah. It's so big. And I think I, I was saying that, I think when we were first getting the, the podcast underway where it's like fertility and the pregnancy thing and all that is definitely a big in my own personal world, but the health and vitality of the cycle of your sex, of your hormones, of your drive, all of that, it's indicative of so much. And there's so many pieces and parts to that. And what could be the cause of, let's say a hormone being out of whack or being low or being high or feeling like your libido is maybe down or feeling like it's really up or there's so much more to the conversation and there's so much more to like understanding health, not just from the perspective of, I want to make a baby with all this information, you know, for 33 years of my life. Well, from the point when I started having a period at like 14, from the times that I've been having and then the times whenever I wound up being sexually active. So over the course of my sexual, sexually active life, all of my gaining information has been so that I don't have a child. So, yep. you know, and so there's yep. some people that are actively, what do I need to know in order to not? So you can take all of the information that we've been discussing and just kind of reverse engineer that or like layer your own lens over it for what you want, because we're talking about the window of when you can have a baby, but it's the same when you don't want to have a baby. That's the same exactly. window that you would avoid. And you instill looking, you know, I, I've had so many people come to me and they're like, we're talking about their sex life and all this, that, and the other. And then they'll say, oh, well, my cycles are, and they'll insert something that's like not necessarily under the category of normal where they're like, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I haven't had a period for like a while. And, you know, it's kind of irregular and it's, 
I'm like, whoa, what are you doing about that? Oh no, I just, it comes when it comes and it doesn't, when it doesn't like, let's talk about your life, you know? And so, I mean, my scope of what I'm open to helping them with only goes so far before I'm like, we here, doctor, (laughs) go, go get, we need to have more of a conversation. And sometimes the role that I play is just getting them to a place where they open up to it and that they start to get curious and then I can help with their mindset around it. But if it isn't clear throughout the conversation that we just had, like, I'm still figuring out the mindset around it. Like, Mm -hmm. where do I, to bring back the word neurotic, like, where is my level of like, I feel empowered and all this information is great. And then here's the line where like, I'm now spiraling out of control and we're figuring it out. I think every cycle and season that passes in a person's life, we're just figuring it out and doing the best that we can with the information that we have and really looping this back to the book, which we've touched on just periodically here and there in the convo, but looping it back to here is like, you do the best with the information that you have. And this book has a lot of information. And what I love about this is that it's not just long form. Here's information. It's broken down with, is this normal? And here's the topic. And then here's the next topic. And it goes in this really layered step by step, like how it progresses. And then I love what you were talking about, the 28 day program at the end where it gives people actionables. It's not just a book that they have and they read and then they're like, okay, cool. Here's the answer to some questions. Now, what do I do? There's information Mm -hmm. in the book that leads you to being able to taking action. I think that's the next layer of empowerment is like, once you have the knowledge, how do you become confident in that knowledge? You become embodied in that knowledge. You actually integrate that into your life. And so between the quizzes and the program at the end, I haven't seen a book. A book hasn't come into, and I'm like looking at my office and whether it's the books that are behind me, which is the little bookshelf, but then there's also a bookshelf in the closet and two bookshelves in the living room. That's a slew of personal development, fertility, and sex education oriented books, but I haven't had anyone be this comprehensive. And so I'm a big fan and I'm excited for when it is going to be released and what people are going to gain from it. And so I know we didn't specifically go into kind of how it's broken down. Granted, I gave a little bit of a high level overview there, but I would love if we could just like round out maybe in the next couple minutes, what you would like to share your mission with this book. Cause we know beyond the pill was the first one that was just revolutionizing for so many people, especially from my age where it was like, I was just handed the pill in high school. And it was just kind of like, Oh, yep. here you go. You get to have this. And so people, if they want to go down that rabbit hole then they can get your first book, but would love, you know, what's the mission, what's the message and what do you hope that this book does for people? Yeah. Well, one thing I want to say that you've talked about, so I get into this in the book and that's why I want to talk about this for a minute is just you're like, there's the perfectionism and then there is the like empowerment and where does that lie? And I talk about in the book, I give an example of two scales, like the old school scales, like you put weight on and it tips one way or another. And I talk about how if we're saying like, oh, you want to be making optimal decisions and all of that, but you start aiming towards perfection. If one side is like, you know, the good and then like the optimal and then the other side is the suboptimal. I mean, like, hey, life is handing you the suboptimal. So there's going to be some there. But if you start going into perfectionism, then you take what you would be putting in that optimal and you start flipping it over to the suboptimal and you're creating that imbalance. And so there needs to be a middle ground. I mean, there's a part in the book where I'm like, yeah, I'm literally a heretic in the wellness industry for saying that like you can have your cake and balanced hormones too. Like you should be able to. Life should not be so strict. And so with the book, I wanted to be able, like, look, what, I think we've all had this experience of like going to CD sites on the internet or having to ask a friend or having an uncomfortable and maybe even really judgmental conversation with your doctor, trying to seek out information about what's normal. 
Now, yeah, I remember back in the day, there was no internet. I was like Dewey Decimal Systeming my way to like what is going on. And the books were crap. Like they were not good. Like, um, and so I just really wanted to write the book that said everything that sex ed should have said, that taught us everything about our hormones, our body, our pleasure. And I took notes from the countries that are doing it the best. I and mean, how are they doing it the best? They have the most sexually satisfied people. They have the less incidents of STIs, of unwanted pregnancies. And we also find that their kids actually delay their first sexual activity. They're having it later. And then they report that it was consensual and enjoyable, which is very different. The United States People are having a younger and they're like, I feel pressured. I felt coerced. I regret it. It was not pleasurable. This is a real problem. And so I wanted to teach health from that perspective of pleasure being important because pleasure is essential in health. Like we are, there is no mistake made in making the clitoris like this amazing, wonderful organ. And if people are like, oh, tell me more about that. Do I do. I got three diagrams on the clitoris that I commissioned <laughs> someone to hand draw to help you understand the clitoris. So people understand we've been talking about pregnancy this whole time, right? Okay. So like we all start off phenotypically female. And then if you have an XY chromosome, by the way, it's just like really simplistic because nature is much more messy than this. Then a testosterone wash comes in. And that Y chromosome, should it respond? Because sometimes they don't, but should it respond, there will be differentiation and no longer will you go labia, clitoris, vagina, you go scrotum, penis, like you go a different route altogether. But that penis was the clitoris, except the penis has to pee and ejaculate and is on the outside. So like, they can't be that sensitive. So the clitoris gets to be all kinds of sensitive and just do one thing, bring you pleasure. Like, why are we not, talking about that more. So my aim is that I want people to have more understanding about their body. I want them to have more pleasure and I want them to have more productive conversations when they do need a provider. So in the book, there's checklists, there's all kinds of things for you to understand what might be going on. I gave you so. I did a whole protocol. And then I also was like, that's not enough. Let's do this cycle <laughs> symptom relief chart. So if you are having symptoms, like you can go and you can troubleshoot those things. And these checklists though, if you do need to see a provider, like you were saying like, oh, you have irregular periods, by the way, anovulatory cycles that is not ovulating, therefore not menstruating. Those are associated with less sexual satisfaction. So definitely take it seriously for a lot of reasons. But if you're seeing someone like you, it's like, they're like, I need sexual health. It's like, friend, you, you need physiological health as well. Yeah, like yeah. You, there's more than one thing to be done here, which is why it always takes a team. And that is definitely a motto that I have. So with that though, these checklists, they provide you data about yourself that you can go to your provider. And when your provider's like, I don't think you have that going on. You're like, well, Here's a list, okay, actually. And I do because I think I have all of these things. And what have you done to rule this in and rule this out and start to have a better productive conversation so that you can get that provider to help you. So the mission of the book is for you to know your normal and know your body better than anyone else because you already do, but society and doctors and mothers and fathers and friends and siblings and like everybody is like interjecting what they think is normal and like influencing you in ways that make you doubt what your normal is. Ooh, it's going to change lives. I can only Let's imagine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's that I would imagine that's a part of the goal, but I can see it now, someone getting the book and going through some checklists and then going, huh, I wonder, 
And then going into their medical professional and being like, look at this. And then it leads to something that's revolutionary for their health. And that's so incredible. So Thank you so much for taking your time coming on and sharing your news, which I don't know when the episode, I mean, the episode is probably going to go out around the time whenever your book is launching. And so I don't know if you will have been public with your news, but congratulations. Like, yeah, <laughs> I know. The stress I know. of saying the words. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I know. Well, I'll be patiently waiting and for whatever the news is. Yeah. And also like holding that hope and vision and in prayers and all the variations of that. And yeah, I'm thinking, you know, for myself too. So it's like in the next couple of months, maybe into the next year, I might have to send you a little message or it's like, oh, hey, this happened for us too. Yeah. So um, let me send you all the baby dust. Yeah, it's like, it's such a vulnerable and beautiful and fucked up thing. <laughs> and it's a miracle and it's a miracle yeah. every time. And so, yeah. So I'm so grateful that you took the time. I'm so grateful that you put this book together and put it out into the world and that you're doing the work that you're doing. And so where would you like for people to find you? I know you've got a really fun TikTok going on a thriving Instagram community as well. And then soon I think they'll be able to get this book anywhere where books are available and they can get it mm -hmm. pre-ordered ahead of time too. Yes, they absolutely can. And you can find me at drbrighton.com, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. And I'm on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram at drjoleenbrighton. And before we go, I just have to ask, is that a selenite penis behind you? Oh. Uh, on your right shelf? Here? On my the shelf? third shelf down. It's a rose quartz penis. Oh, okay. It's a rose quartz penis. Cause I was like, Selenite oh. would not be safe. Oh um, no. She's right. <laughs> she, <if> splintered. <laughs> he's a rose quartz. That's my, I have like several shelves there and that's the one that's got all of the different crystals and metals and all that that are behind me. Yep. What is well, that white thing? Oh, <laughs> She's an OG. Oh, it's a magic wand. She's an OG magic wand. <laughs> oh my God. Wait a minute. You said when you came on that we met at the Bulletproof conference briefly. Yeah. Did you read the masturbation chapter in the book? Uh, in this, no, I don't think so. No. Oh I've my God. There's the a whole thing. story about me being at that conference. Oh, oh really? my God. Okay. So yes. I don't and think so. And how sex with Emily loaded me up with a bunch of sex toys. Oh, and amazing. actually- I just was on the Model Health show and Sean was one of the people I saw as I like had a baby arms full of like sex toys trying to like make it through the lobby <laughs> so nobody would see me with all of these things. And he's like, I remember, I remember this, like seeing you and being like, what's she doing? It looks shady. Like what's she doing over there? <laughs> it's so funny that that's the conference we met at. And then I'm like, oh, because that was the first time I was gifted with a magic wand. I still find that thing really intimidating and intense. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm just not Samantha yeah. level. I'm not yeah, so I know. Level. It's maybe more like an actual back massager. For you yes, than <laughs> definitely. But also yeah. um, everybody who stuck around on the podcast, because people dip out when it's like, where to find you? Everybody else just sure. got to hear like, <laughs> sure. yeah, like, yeah. The bonus, the real, real, <laughs> the bonus. No, I yeah. know. And even, even your ass. So there was like a crystal penis on the one shelf. And yeah. And it's funny because I find myself to be that someone in the middle, I have a shelf of all the sacred sexuality tools. And I'm the one that's like, Hey, we need to talk about the real risks and what are you actually looking for? And porosity yeah. and splintering and, yes. and bacterial yes. vaginosis causing things and, yeah. and just all of it. And the, yeah. So I was with you there. Whenever you asked, I was like, no, that, that thing's not selenite. That's a rose quartz anyway, but I yeah, have yeah. that and I have a magic wand and we have I lots would hate of, to be uh, the one to be like, 
friend you cannot use selenite. Busting, like, busting yeah. everyone's, yeah, um, bursting their hopes and dreams. Nope. Yeah, we got it down. Dr. Jolene, you're awesome. I love your energy and your spunk and your realness. And I am leaving, personally, I'm leaving this conversation with so much hope and empowerment and an element of almost there's always something to learn. There's always something to find, especially when it comes to going on a health journey and just being really at peace, trusting the journey and like going for the data and the information again, from that perspective of like, I'm going to do something well, really good with this. And I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate to myself and oh, my partner. Definitely. That drops and... inflammation, friend. Being kind yep. to yourself drops inflammation. That, yep. Working on that for sure. But yes, thank you so much. I can't wait to share your book with everyone. Yeah. And congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.